good to see you guys this weekend. Before I get started in our new series, I just want to remind you that next Sunday night right here at the Raleigh campus is our all-campus vision night. It's where we get together as a family and we talk about where we're going to be going over the next few months. And it's going to start at 4.30 in the parking lot. We're providing hot dogs for everybody. There's going to be a dessert food trucks here. And we're hoping you'll bring your cornhole boards and your frisbee. And for about an hour and a half, we're just going to hang out and eat and get to know each other. And then we'll come in here about 6 o'clock and there'll be a little bit of worship. And then I'm going to be sharing with you uh, where we're going over the next few months and what you can be looking forward to here at Hope Community Church as we continue to venture together to reach the triangle and to change the world. So make sure that you're here. You'll have a great time. Now, as I said, this weekend we're starting a brand new series we're calling Meet the Gospel. It's based on the first five chapters of the book of Romans. By the way, uh, the book of Romans wasn't always a book. It was actually originally a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written around 55 to 58 AD, so maybe 20 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven after he left this earth. And he wrote this letter and it's addressed to a small group of new Christians who lived in Rome. And the purpose for Paul writing this letter was very, very simple. These new Christians needed to grow. And to do that, they needed information about their new faith. In fact, this is what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He said, like newborn babies, you got to crave pure spiritual milk. In other words, he says, as a, as a new believer, you've got to crave that spiritual, that biblical truth, that biblical doctrine, so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. So understand, Paul wrote this letter for the purpose of giving them that milk, giving them that truth, that doctrine, so that they could grow up in their salvation. Now, as you can tell by the title, this series is about the gospel. But to really appreciate where we're going to be going over the next few weeks, uh, we're not going to begin where you would logically begin. So if you went to a real church that had a real pastor, you would begin in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul talks about being an apostle, a servant of Jesus Christ. But we're not going to start there. We're actually, we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, where we're going to end the series. And then we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. And then we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. And this weekend... We're going to talk about depravity. And you say, well, Michael, I thought this was about Romans. Why are we going to Genesis? And it's for this very reason. A few years ago, uh, after Laura and I had been married about 20 years, I decided to buy her a new diamond ring for our 20th anniversary. Now, the reason is, uh, in 1978, when we got married, uh, I was actually still in school. Uh, that summer, I happened to have been the camp, counselor, or the camp director at Camp Kanata over here in Wake Forest. I had scratched together $500, and that's what, uh, that's what I gave Laura. Laura actually bought her own ring. I sent it to her in California, and uh, she told me after about 15 years of marriage that she had to actually add about 100 bucks to it to get anything because I was such a tightwad, right? And so I thought, man, she's been wearing this thing for 20 years. She needs a new diamond. So I go to a jeweler, and it's interesting. They don't just dump a bunch of diamonds out on the glass countertop and say, what do you think, right? You know what they do. They take that black velvet. They lay it out. They strategically place the diamond. The lights hit it just right right and you can see the brilliance the beauty of that diamond against that black backdrop in the very same way if you do not understand the black backdrop of depravity there's no way that you can really appreciate the beauty and the brilliance of depravity so while all of our depraved friends are at the beach this weekend I thought it's a great week for us really spiritual people to talk about talk about depravity so we're going to do that um, now there's an interesting verse in Romans chapter 5 and this is what Paul says. He kind of sums up this whole, this whole depravity issue. Uh, verse 12, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and we're going to see in just a few minutes, that's a reference to Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sin. Now, I don't know if you make notes in your Bible, but that's a very, very unique verse. Because it tells us that there was a time, a very specific time in, in humanity past, 
where innocence departed this earth and depravity entered. But there's no way we can really understand that without going back to the beginning, without going back to Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me, Genesis chapter 2. And uh, while you're turning, let's answer this question. What do we mean when we use the term depravity? Well, if you were to check out Webster, he doesn't help us a whole lot. Uh, It's the quality or state of being depraved. I'm like, man, I should write a dictionary. I think I could come up with that, right? He goes on to say, marked by corruption or evil, perverted, crooked. But it's interesting, if you were to take that definition at face value, you would get the wrong idea about depravity. Because depravity doesn't mean humanity is is as bad as it can be. Depravity means humanity is as bad off as it can be. And that may not sound like a big difference, but I'm telling you that's huge. For example, if you say that humanity is as bad as it can be, you have a problem when you run into a good person. Because, see, they could be worse. And so even as screwed up and messed up as our world is, there are still good, moral, ethical people who give back to society, who serve society. They get up every day. They want to do the right thing. And if you say that depraved people are their people who are as bad as they can be, well, it kind of leaves out those who could be worse. It reminds me of a story of two, two brothers that grew up in a little town down in Georgia, and they were just ruthless, mean, crooked, perverse individuals. And one of the brothers died. So the other brother went to the other pastor of the Baptist church there in town. He said, I want you to do my brother's funeral. And the pastor's like, great. What am I going to say good about this guy? We've all had those funerals if you've been a pastor long enough, right? He said, well, how do, how do I give this guy a funeral? Everybody knows he's a crook. Everybody knows that he's a scoundrel. And the brother says, listen, I want you to do his funeral. But here's the thing. I know you're building a new building, and I know you desperately must need money. So I'm willing to write out a huge check to your building fund. But somewhere in that funeral service, you got to make my brother look good. In fact, I want you to refer to him. I want you to say he was a saint. And the pastor's like, how do I do this, you know? But man, I really need the money. So finally the day of the funeral arrives and he gets up and he says, we're gathered here today to honor our dearly departed soul who robbed and cheated and swindled and robbed everybody he came in contact with. He was a loser. He was a scoundrel. He was the embodiment of everything that is wrong and evil in this world. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. See, so that's kind of what I'm talking about, right? We can all be worse. We can all be worse. Now, Dwight Pentecost has written a book entitled Things that, Which Become Sound Doctrine. And in it, he addresses the doctrine of depravity. He says this, the doctrine of depravity has to do not with man's estimation of man. See, that is so key. But rather with God's estimation of man. And then he says this, we're the heirs of generation of the teaching of evolution, which sees man in an ever-ascending spiral, rising higher and higher from the depth from which he has sprung until finally he reaches the stars. And we know that's true. We live in a culture where we basically, mankind sees itself, we're getting wiser and wiser and wiser and smarter and smarter and smarter, and we're more enlightened than ever. And because we're so wise, and because we're so enlightened, see, we don't really need God anymore. And we don't really need truth anymore. And we don't really need absolutes anymore. Because we're so smart, we can figure it out ourselves. And because of that, we now live in a culture where basically we live by philosophies like, hey, if it feels right for you, then you should just do it. If your inner person is telling you that's who you are, then you should just live it outwardly. And we're not even asking the right questions. We no longer even begin to ask what is right and what is wrong. You know what we ask in today's culture? What is fair? It's got to be fair. And it's got to be inclusive. Everybody's got to be included. Unless you agree with popular opinion about what is fair. 
This is how Paul summed up our culture. We'll see this verse later on. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They became fools. Now, Pentecost goes on and says this. So widely accepted is that concept that man is ascending, that we're getting better and better. So widely accepted is that concept that we have come somehow to feel that there is so much good and the worst of us that man is not so bad off after all. When we measure, this is so key, when we measure men by man, we can always find someone who is lower than we are on the moral or ethical scale. And the comparison gives us a feeling of self-satisfaction. But the scriptures do not measure men by man. They measure men by God who has created them. The creature is measured by the creator and is found to be wanting. So I want you to understand, depravity doesn't mean that man is as bad as we can be. Let's face it, we could all be a lot worse. It means that we're as bad off as we can possibly be. But more importantly, it means that we're as bad off as we could possibly be in the eyes of God. In other words, there's nothing we can do. We're on his bad side. There's nothing we can humanly do to get back on to his good side. There's nothing we can do that's going to make God see us in a positive light. Because from God's perspective, we are as bad off as we could possibly be. That's depravity. Now, where did it start? Where did it come from? Genesis chapter 2, it started in the Garden of Eden. Eden. Adam and Eve are living in this perfect, beautiful environment. We pick up the story in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. So God says, eat anything you'd like. By the way, they were vegans at this point, okay? Eat anything you like. It's all here for your enjoyment. Except there's one tree that you can't eat from. Verse 17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Literally, if you could read the Hebrew to text, it says this, dying, you will die. And what it means is this, dying instantly, you will ultimately die. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It sounds like a contradiction. What does it mean? It means this. God was saying this to Adam and Eve. The moment you eat, you will die spiritually. And at that same moment, you will begin the process of dying physically. Whenever you see the word death in the Bible, it simply means separation. So God was saying this, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there is going to be an instant separation of you from me. There's going to be a spiritual death. And ultimately, there's going to be, there's going to be a separation of your body from your soul. There's going to be a physical death. Someone once asked me if Adam and Eve had never sinned, if they hadn't have eaten the fruit from the tree, would they have lived forever? And the answer is Absolutely. But you got to understand, sin and death always go together. They're like two kings that reign over the life of mankind. And when one shows up, when sin shows up, I can promise you this, death is always in its wake. Now, I want you to understand, when God said this to Adam and Eve, I believe that Adam and Eve were absolutely confident that they were going to stay away from that tree. Why did they, why did they need to go anywhere near that tree? They had the whole garden to enjoy. By the way, let me just say one more thing before we look at Genesis chapter 3 about the state of man as God created him in the garden. First of all, man had a mind with which to know God. Man had emotions with which to love God. And man had a will with which to obey God. Understand all three are in beautiful, perfect condition in Genesis chapter 2. Adam and Eve, they're enjoying the God who made them. They understand him. They love him. 
They're living obediently to him. It is a great scene never to be duplicated in this life. But then you get to chapter 3, and suddenly everything changes. Let's pick it up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. God never said that. I don't think God cared what they did with it. I don't think he cared if they, they, they played catch with it, you know, made it centerpieces. On, I don't think God really cared. He said, you just can't eat it. He said, if you eat it, you're going to die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you'll be a competitor with God and God doesn't like people who compete with him. Maybe you should try it. You don't know what you might be missing. By the way, do you know what the lie was that destroyed the relationship between God and man? Do you know what the lie was that ushered in depravity to the human race? The lie was this. God has a secret. God has an agenda. God's holding out on you. In other words, there's some really cool stuff out there God doesn't want you to experience. And if you go with God and if you stick with the God program, you're going to miss out and you're going to have regrets in life. And this is what's interesting. Every day of our lives... We are tempted to believe the same lie. For example, if you wait until you get married to have sex, you're going to miss out. If you run your business the way God wants you to run your business, you're going to miss out. If you handle your finances the way God wants you to handle your finances, you're going to miss out. As a Christian, if you make the decision only to marry another Christian, you're going to miss out. That's the big lie. It started in the Garden of Eden, and understand Satan has stuck with it ever since. So Satan says to Eve, try it. You'll like it. You don't want to miss out on anything. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, it's interesting. It takes probably about 20 seconds to read Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Probably takes about a minute to actually act it out. But in that 60-second period, everything changes. And all of a sudden, we find Adam and Eve, and they are aware of themselves. What has happened for the very first time, for the very first time, right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, sin has infiltrated the bloodstream. In other words, always there's been this incredible purity. There's always been this incredible a sense of innocence. There was knowledge of God, the love of God. They were obedient to God. But all of a sudden, something has changed, and now they're self-conscious. And it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized. In other words, they learned. They gained insight. It was like one of those aha moments. There were things, like there are things we didn't know about. There are things that we had never felt before. Wow, there are things we had never experienced. That mean old God, he was holding out on us. Verse 7, they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. By the way, do you know what they had been missing out on because of mean old God? That mean old God. They've been missing out on shame. They'd never had that feeling. They had never known that experience. So they covered themselves. By the way, do you know what shame is? Shame is when you feel so bad about yourself that you're uncomfortable around other people. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve, they feel 
shame. They had never had that feeling. Why? Because they had been in an environment of complete trust. They had been in an environment of complete and total innocence. They were fully known by God without any fear of rejection. But then suddenly, shame, guilt is introduced into the equation and they're covering up. Grant Howard wrote a book entitled The Trauma of Transparency. He talks about how depravity changed even our relationships. He says the perception of themselves and each other had changed. He's talking about Adam and Eve. Before they saw everything as God saw it, now they have an awareness that is perverted and distorted. They are ill at ease with each other. They are beginning to experience fallen human relationships. They can no longer be open and honest with each other. Even their sexuality is interpreted from a fallen perspective. They seek to cover themselves. They want to hide from each other. The text refers to the creation of clothing to cover their physical bodies. But we know that sin affected the total person. From that moment on, they tended to hide. And then he talks about how it affects us today. Many terms are used to depict this tendency that we all have to hide from one another. We cover up our needs. We bury our thoughts. We repress our feelings. We mull things over inwardly. We get quiet, reserved, even withdrawn. We are introverted, sullen, pouting, shy, bashful. We say, I couldn't care less, but we really do. We say, leave me alone because we don't want anybody to step inside and see what's really happening. We say, I don't want to talk about it, even though we desperately need to say, help me. We say, nothing is bothering me, when in all honesty, a problem is clawing our souls to shreds. Think about this. For the first time in the existence of humanity, Adam and Eve are covering up their hiding. For the first time, they're basically saying to God, leave me alone. Result of depravity. Look what happened in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now understand, God's not saying, where could they be? He's not looking under bushes and behind trees. Remember, God is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere. So that's not the question. This is what he's asking if you look at it in the Hebrew. Why are you hiding? Why are you there? You've always been here. Where are you? He, Adam, answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Another first. Because I was naked, so I... And so let's be honest, there was some truth to what Satan said. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they discovered that there were all kinds of things that God had been keeping from them, but it wasn't because he was mean old God, it was because he loved them. It's because he wanted to protect them, but it gets worse, verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. Now, we all have laughed at that statement, right? But actually understand, it's a statement of rebellion. And what Adam is really saying is this, God, I resent that you gave her to me. In fact, Adam was the first person to do what we do all the time. He was the first person to say, God, the reason I have so much trouble in my life is you. I was just hanging out in the garden enjoying myself, minding my own business. And lo and behold, I wake up from a surgery that I did not ask for, by the way. And there she is. She's the problem. 
God, why did you give her to me in the first place? What were you thinking? The result of depravity. Suddenly God is someone to be questioned, to hide from, to be afraid of. God is someone to blame. See, now God is responsible for all the bad stuff that's going on in my life, right? Sound familiar? Yeah. What's happening? Adam and Eve have fallen. Theologians say that they acted as our federal head. In other words, they acted as our representative. But they fell, we fall too. But you got to understand, it wasn't just an event in history. It was the beginning of the end. Death came just as God said. There was a separation between God and man. See, that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And he said this, in Adam, all died. When Adam died, we all died spiritually. One more verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent. And if you continue reading in chapter 3, you'll see that the curse falls. The curse falls. And those dual kings of sin and death, they begin to reign. Flowed right down from Adam and Eve to their children. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Two boys of Adam and Eve. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. God wanted a blood sacrifice. Cain was a little offended, like, well, you know what? That's not what I do, you know? And so he brought God a fruit salad. God was not impressed. Abel obeyed God and brought a blood sacrifice. If you remember the story, God rejected Cain's offering. He accepted Abel's offering. Cain was jealous. And later on, while they're out in the field together, Cain kills Abel. It's interesting that when it talks about the word kill there, it's the Hebrew word, suggests that it was the same kind of killing that you would use in a sacrifice. In other words, Cain slit Abel's throat. I think it was with the attitude, God, you want a blood sacrifice? I'll give you a blood sacrifice. But understand, it was an act of immense proportion. Think about this. He murdered his own kind. Why? Depravity. You get to Genesis chapter 5. Adam and Eve had a third son. His name was Seth. It says in verse 1, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. You ever seen that before? Adam was created in God's own image. Seth was in his daddy's image. He's a sinner. And that makes sense. Sin begets sin. You know, depravity begets depravity. So how far has it gone? Well, it's a universal problem. And I'll, I'll read for you God's evaluation of humanity because of depravity. And I'll just tell you, as I read it, I don't write this stuff in the Bible. But I want you to know something. I, I don't apologize for it either because it's the Word of God. But this is what God says about, you know, instead of man ascending and getting better and better, God says ever since the fall, man has been caught up in a downward vortex of depravity. And it's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse. But it explains why we see some of the things that we see in our culture. Look what it says, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they, and that's a reference to mankind, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. 
But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, there you go, there's our verse, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being. And birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, instead of worshiping the true God, they, they, they substituted idols. And we do that, let's be honest, we don't have birds and, and frogs and turtles sitting around our house. But you know what we have? You know what our idols are? Pleasure, power, prosperity, prestige, you know. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. One of the most interesting terms in all the Bible. Basically God said this, oh, this is what you want to do? You think that your plan for life is better than my plan? You think you're smarter than me? Fine, you go for it. So God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Paul had a worship service there. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over. There it is again. To shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men. And received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Don't check out yet. Okay. Verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them, mankind, over to a depraved mind. So that they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Uh-oh, they disobey their parents. Right there in the list with all the other bad stuff, kids. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. And he's talking about that separation from God and man. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve. Remember? Inclusion. Hey, if it's what they want to do, who am I to judge, right? Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Not pretty, is it? Do you know what that passage tells me? Every one of us is depraved. Including me, especially me, right? And I know what some of you are thinking, well, my, Mike, I'm a Christian. You know what? You're also depraved. Yeah, but I'm going to go to heaven because Jesus died for me. Yep, you're still depraved in your human body. I'm telling you, you have a nature you cannot trust, and so do I. And you battle with it every day in that constant yo-yo of good and evil. I mean, just think about this past week. There is not a one of us sitting in here listening right now who could stand up and say, I did not have one bad thought and I did not commit one evil act this week. Not a one of us could say that. Do you know why? We've all got the disease. We're all depraved. You want to know the results of depravity? My mind is blinded. And in my own mind, I can't know God. My emotions are perverted, and in my own emotions, I can't love God. My will is dead, and in my own will, I can't obey God. <laughs> I got a blind eye, perverted emotions, and a dead will. Bad day.
and it's not getting any better. And there are no degrees of depravity. To be, off, to be as bad off as you can possibly be is to be on the bottom rung. But when Jesus came, that changes everything. And that's next week. But when he came, he said, you don't have to stay like that. You can be delivered. Can I go back to Romans chapter 5? Look what Paul says. He puts it all together. If we didn't have Romans chapter 5, we'd just have to give up. We just would have no hope whatsoever. We'd go to the, the beach with all the rest of, uh, of our not-so-spiritual friends. Right. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass, that's Adam, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, yeah, what Jesus did for us, resulted in justification and life for all people. For justice through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. I love this. But where sin increased, grace. What's grace? Getting what we don't deserve. Grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that good? I mean, that's so good, that makes me want to act like Trey. I want to laugh and dance and jump and sing and shout. I can't do any of that stuff, but it makes me want to, right? Because you know what that verse says? Even in our depravity, God came to our rescue. He gave us Jesus Christ, and when we decide to follow him and make him our Savior... He sees us in Christ, in what Christ has done for us. And he says, I see you as righteous. That doesn't mean I'm righteous in my nature. God says, I see you in my son who is righteous. And because you believed in him and trusted in him, I see you righteous as well. Let me tell you something. If you're here this weekend and your life's an absolute disaster, you will never, ever get it together except through Jesus Christ. That's the only answer for depravity. A couple of weeks ago, I was out under the portico, and uh, there was this woman standing there with this beautiful little blonde-haired baby, the brightest blue eyes, and I commented about how beautiful his eyes were. And she said, you don't remember me, but Easter 2015, I, I, came, I came and I talked to you, and I brought my daughter that Easter. I asked her if she'd go to church with me. He says, she said, my daughter was a heroin addict, and she was pregnant. And she was getting ready to have an abortion. And she said, will you just go to church with me on Easter? She came, and God changed her life through Jesus Christ. And she went to rehab, and she had the baby. And the baby was born with, with all the symptoms of, of, of having a mom who had been a heroin addict and came through the symptoms with no side effects whatsoever. And she said, holding this eight-month-old grandson, and she said, this is my grandson, and this is my daughter. And they were both standing side by side. See, that's what the righteousness of Jesus Christ can do in your life. Only remedy for depravity. You don't even have to work at it. As you're going to see in this series, you just turn your life over to Jesus who paid it all. And he says, you know what? You come to me, I'll give you forgiveness. In fact, I'll give you my righteousness. You can never earn it. You can never deserve it. And I will cover you. And as we're going to see beginning next week, that's the gospel. Now, let me tell you why this, this is so important to me. 
because we're going to see over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the gospel, and then we're going to look at the world's most popular sin. And then we're going to look at what is real righteousness, and then we're going to wrap up the series by talking about what is real joy. How do we find real joy through the gospel? But I accepted Christ when I was five years old. I heard somebody say, talk about hell. I went home. I was sitting on my little bed, which I shared with my mom and dad. That tells you how poor we were. Uh, I shared in my room. Uh, my bed was right there with them. And uh, I said, Mom, I don't want to go to hell. And my mom uh, that night shared with me the gospel. And I invited Jesus into my life. I was baptized when I was six. Never tasted alcohol. Never smoked a cigarette. I'm soon to be 60. I still have not in the, pres- in, in, in the flesh seen marijuana. I mean, I've lived a sheltered life. Never went to a movie till I was 22. I made up for it. I went to see Animal House with John Belushi. That kind of made up for 22 years of not going to a movie. I had some friends say, we're going to go see a movie. And I'm like, my, my parents aren't around. Let's go. Animal House, I thought that was like Dr. Doolittle or something. You know, but anyway, no, it wasn't. And I almost. Do not watch that movie, by the way. Um, Went off to a Christian university, married an incredible woman, became a pastor at the age of 24, not intentionally, and then went to seminary. And when I went to seminary, I had a mentor named Neil Anderson. And because I had lived such a good life, I I, I think I had the attitude, boy, God just got an incredible bargain with me. I mean, he really, that was a good day for God, you know, right? But Neil Anderson, and I was the most judgmental person, Neil Anderson took me on a three-year journey of introducing me to grace. And I realized you cannot appreciate grace and you can't appreciate the gospel if you can't appreciate the fact that no matter how moral and good you think you've been, that from God's perspective, you're as bad off as you could possibly be. That's depravity. So if you get nothing else out of this this weekend, that's what I want you to leave. You think without God, and you are as bad off as you can possibly be. And that's why we need the gospel. And we're going we're gonna to begin to unpack that next week. I look forward to having you guys back. Father, thank you for your time. Thank you for just spending, spending it with us today. You promised us that wherever two or three together in your name, you would be right there in the midst of them. And we've claimed that today. We prayed before the service, and we knew that you were going to be here with us. And Father, maybe, maybe many people sitting here and going through this series are going to think that they're righteous in you. But the reality is they're self-righteous because they think they're good. Help us to realize that every one of us from your perspective, or as bad off as we could possibly be. And the only answer is the gospel. And I pray that you will open our eyes through this series. Not that, Help us to understand the gospel isn't a way that we avoid hell and go to heaven when we die. But it's available to us, and it will impact every aspect of how we live our lives and where we place our hope and what we do with our time and how we have a proper perspective about the future. Just lead us through on this journey, and we're going to give you the credit and the glory right now for what you're going to do over the next few weeks. In your name we pray. Amen.